You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, along with John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Howdy, Jen. How are you? I am well, thank you. And we are taking a look at the Seahawks matchup against the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football. And we'll kind of start with a look back at that game against the Saints, because I think, John, there are some big takeaways, certainly whether valid or not, that have been talked about ad nauseum this week. So let's just go back to Sunday. What were your big impressions and big takeaways from that loss in New Orleans? Uh, well, I think I'd probably start on the offensive side of the ball and just things have not quite been where they want them to be yet. I mean, they're, they've, they've had games where they do some really good things, but just that consistency isn't there. Running game is a big part of that, and that affects third down. The penalties have been a big issue of getting them into bad down and distances. So kind of third down, getting the running game going, and then to piggyback off what I just said, penalties. I mean, it's hard to win with 11 penalties on the road. It is, yeah, especially when there's such a disparity in the penalty numbers. And I think we know what the league has been talking to the Seahawks about just as far as which really were penalties, which were not. I found it interesting when Pete Carroll addressed the media this week that really for him, you know, once the game is done, the game is done. He's not complaining or whining about it, but it's an information gathering process for him. He's not going to change some of those techniques that they utilize on defense but just to understand where that line is and and how you can make the adjustments they're always going to be a physical team on defense and they're willing to live with some penalties there although they're actually if you look at their you know pass interference defensive holding numbers everyone assumed that when those points of emphasis and rule changes went in that it would just kill the Seahawks and they've been pretty good there but you're right it's you know when when he's going to the league it you know it doesn't do any good whether they say it's right or wrong after the fact but you can learn stuff from that a good one earlier this year that Pete Carroll said they wanted to talk about was there's that game where Jermaine Curse had a bunch of offensive pass interference and they're just you know it wasn't so much that Pete Carroll's mad about the calls but he was trying to figure out like look this guy's never had all these calls on him now they're coming off like what's what do we do we need to change how we're coaching this is it something that we're missing so it it's important to have that dialogue so you can fix the problems if they're if they're there yeah and uh, a number of those penalties coming against the defense those are some big yardage penalties but here's the number that I was really looking at for the defense it's just the number of plays that they've been on the field in the last two weeks and I know the guys after the game said that's not an excuse but I think the eye test shows that there was a bit of fatigue last week yeah I mean you think there has to be that's just too much. I mean, they played darn near three games worth of snaps in two weeks, so it's that's really hard. Uh, although Pete Carroll, when asked about this today, I mean, he he put that back on them a little bit. And he said, "Look, you know, that's on the defense too because they've got to get off the field. The offense." He, he, he used the term complementary football. The offense can help the defense. The defense can help the offense. And there were penalties keeping the Saints on the field, and Seahawks fans probably didn't love every call. But ultimately, you get a few more third down stops. Offenses on the field more. It's maybe a different game. You stop one of those scoring drives. So uh, they, you know, for a lot of reasons, they want to be on the field less because it'll help the offense. It'll keep them yeah. fresh. But I, I don't think that's, you know, they're getting, they're not going to use it as an excuse this week. Well, and here's kind of the general feeling that I gathered after that game being inside the locker room is that they weren't happy about 
that loss. And it's really tough when you are one play away and perhaps six inches away from winning the game. But it doesn't feel like they're at a total loss, right? It, it feels like these are very fixable things. The penalties are very fixable. And, John, you and I haven't covered this team for a long time. This is about the time of the year that everything starts coming together. We have this dialogue every <laughs> single year. Maybe I just trust Pete too much. Yeah. And I just trust this team. But there's starting to be that feeling in the locker room. There was no finger pointing. You know, the defense is frustrated, but they're not, again, at a loss. It, it feels like we're one game away from turning the corner. Yeah, you know, I was talking to Justin Britt about that very thing, and he said, you know, he, he, he wasn't like going out making a big prediction. But he said, I think we're going to see some things in the run game this week kind of that we can build on. And it is. Like, I don't want to – you can't take it for granted because the players have to actually make it happen. But pretty much without fail, other than 2013 when they were just really darn good all year yeah. – They've always been a team that at some point, you know, November into December, really turn it on and get better as the season goes on. And they're still in first place by more than, you know, they've got that game and it's it's hard to calculate with the tie. Game and a half, I guess we call it, with the tie and the buys. It's hard to calculate the exact names right now, but they've got a bit of a cushion. They're not playing their best football yet, and everybody in that locker room is confident that I mean, I, no one's worried about the defense right now. I mean, they, they didn't want to give up all those points at the end of the game on those drives, but the defense is playing great this season. And once the offense just gets that run game going a little bit, cleans up some of the penalties, I think I think we're going to see some really good things down the stretch. Even in 2013, when they were winning all those games, they still had close games, yeah, and they pe- still had games where you would kind of shake your head and go, what in the world is going on? Yeah, I, I wish I could remember who to cre- give credit to, but I saw this on Twitter after, after the Saints game. Actually, somebody pointed out, Super Bowl 48 was both the best thing for the Seahawks and the worst thing for expectations. Because if that's your great yes. memory of the Seahawks, of them just destroying a historically great offense, it, it creates kind of some unrealistic expectations. As you said, you go back to that season, they were in a lot of really tight games, and some of those were teams you think, oh, they should blow this team out, and they didn't, and they still found ways to win. and again, I, they're in a pretty good place right now. Well, and I think the end of every season, and Pete talked about this, he doesn't necessarily know what to make of it outside of his team just finish as well. If you go back to 2012, when Russell was a rookie and they were still trying to get things going, they played the Bills that year in Toronto, it was a blowout. If you look at some of those games from middle of November on, and same thing, you go back and you look at this year after year, it just sets your expectations to be so high that they're always going to start the same way they finish. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about that run game, let's get into this a little bit more. The Seahawks offense ranks 23rd um, total with 339 yards a game. They are 29th in points per game at 187 And the Seahawks have scored one offensive touchdown or less in four of the seven games this season. And we've talked about the amount of yards that Russell has not been able to rush for. Here's the other thing that has happened two straight weeks to the Seahawks offense. They have not run enough plays in the first half to get a good sense of where they need to make the adjustments in the second half. And Pete has noted this both weeks in a row. You know, I think it was 14 plays, 13 or 14 plays against Arizona. I think you were up at 15 plays? Yeah, I think it was like 19 plays or something. Either way, you're running less than 20. And Pete has said both times, what are you supposed to make adjustments off to? That means that the third quarter is a total restart. How much of the first half is impacting just 
what they're able to do in the game. It's definitely a part of it because this is a coaching staff that, it, you know, Tom Cable and Daryl Bevel, they've adjusted well. I mean, you can go back and look historically. They've usually been a team that, um, you know, they'll if they come out of the gate slowly, they'll get some things figured out and they'll make those third-quarter adjustments and come out playing a lot better. And they just – you don't have enough information, whether it's two weeks ago, you know, they just kept going three and out, couldn't get first downs. This time it was a combination of the penalties, putting them behind the sticks and having a punt. And then as great as a defensive touchdown is, it's, you know, it's potentially a game-changing play. The downside of that is your offense isn't on the field. Right. That's exactly right. And when the offense was on the field to come out to start the third quarter, when they had those seven straight runs, it didn't have the same impact on the defensive side because the defense was already fresh from yeah, being that's able to lock drive in the halftime. That's right? the drive you want in the middle of the second quarter. Yeah, exactly. So when the Seahawks did come out and they found success running the ball and they drove the field and they only get a field goal on that one, but why didn't we see more play calling like that where it was run, 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 run? I, you know, sometimes it's just what the defense is showing you. I mean, you're not going to just stubbornly hand it off with a loaded box. And some of it was, again, to go back to the penalties, if you look at those limited chances they had there were so many second third and long and you, you know if everyone wants to complain that they're not handing the ball off enough and not right enough but if they hand the ball off on second 20 people are going to be pretty upset about that too so it you know i they they have every intention to to be pretty balanced still i mean that doesn't mean it's gonna be 50 50 every game but they do want to run the ball it's just been some odd situations these last couple of weeks where it hasn't really worked out what did cj Procise show you as far as how he could handle not just being the third down back, but actually being a runner out of the backfield. Yeah, you know, he looked good just as a you know normal running back carrying the ball, running between the tackles. And that was something I, I think a lot of us wondered how good he was at because, uh, you know, I personally didn't watch a lot of Notre Dame, so I don't have a lot of history with him. But you just hear converted receiver to running back. You kind of wonder if he's going to be physical and how he's going to play. But he looked good, especially for a guy who, you know, as Pete Carroll said, this is really kind of his second preseason game in terms of workload. He's been practicing, but he hasn't had that physical getting tackled kind of play. So it's really encouraging. Just, I mean, what he did was impressive, just the numbers. But when you consider how little he's played, that's a pretty good sign. Well, and I do think that that's a good point. He has been practicing, so at least the install has been there. He hasn't yeah. been able to follow through with all of that physicality, but he hasn't missed time. Yeah, I mean, he's getting he's getting the running around. His legs are under him. He's He knows the plays. He knows the playbook. It's just, it for that position, it's one of those where you need the physical part. You need to get tackled. You need to run through tackles. You need to be able to take care of the right. ball when you're getting hit. So that was the big difference for him that he needs to get. Right. The other thing that has come up quite a bit in the conversations with Pete the last two weeks is the number of explosive plays. And last year, the Seahawks were averaging about eight and a half explosive plays a game. Explosive plays, as the Seahawks define them, are passes of 16 or more yards, runs of 12 or more yards. They had five such plays on Sunday. And I believe just kind of in thinking back over the game, a lot of those in two minute drill back up against the wall, you know, you've got to score. Why are they effective then and not at will in, let's say, the second or third quarter of a game? It's That's a great question, and one I, you know, I think if they could answer better, they would. Uh, Russell Wilson a couple times been asked about this, and he's kind of talked about the sense of urgency. And ideally, you want that sense of urgency to be there every time. But, you know, I think the plus side of that is they're a really good team with that pressure on them to perform. But you need to be able to do it for four quarters or at least more often than they have been. 
sometimes there are situations where, you know, the type of defense teams playing lends itself right. to giving up some more plays, things like that. But to go back to the explosive, that that's a huge deal to Pete Carroll, both sides of the ball, stopping the big play and having them. And they, they've been good on that defensively again, but they, they haven't just gotten those big. And some of that comes not just with the running game, getting the explosive runs, but setting up the explosive passes when teams have to, you know, they respect the play action more and they've got to load the box more. And now all of a sudden, even when, you know, going back to last year, they want to get rid of the ball quickly, which some people would say, you're throwing it quick. You can't throw down fields. You can't get the explosives. They were throwing down field last year, even when they were focused on being quicker. But I think the difference now is that the lack of running threat has slowed that down a little bit. Yeah. So um, when you take a look at this week's game, I don't know. I we, we keep asking the question about the run game. Do they commit to it more, or is it a matter of seeing what the Bills' defense gives them? Because this Bills' defense, it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, they're going to bring – I think Pete Carroll said they, they are the most successful blitzing team in terms of the pressures and sacks and all that. They've got the league leader in sacks. So they're going to bring a lot of pressure. Sometimes you can run against that. If you time that up right, you see it coming, and you, and you hit a run on that, it can – it can leave you a lot of room to go. I do think it'll be more, they're going to try to do both. And if they get enough plays in the first half, that'll be big just to, to get some balance in there. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be come out and hand it off eight straight times to send a message in the first quarter. If they do great, it'd be fun. Cause if you do it eight straight times, that means you're getting some first downs. Well, and I wonder too, if uh, maybe you back off that run game or attempting to get that run game going just a little bit, knowing that, Gronkowski had a lot of success against this Bills defense last week, and so I wonder if there's some opportunity for, for Jimmy, Jimmy Graham. Yeah, there could be. I mean, that's it's a good secondary, but it's not a very big secondary. They don't have a lot of big, you know, lanky Richard Sherman, Deshaun Shedd type DBs. So if if you can get a matchup of, I mean, that's the beauty of a player like Jimmy Graham or Gronkowski. If a six foot guy is covering him, even if he's playing the best coverage in the world, if you put that ball in the right place, six six is going to win a lot. Yeah. Um, you talk about the defense for the Bills. You're going to have two defensive players of the month on the field on two Monday night. Two great pass rushers. Yeah, you've got plus, Lorenzo Alexander. Two plus 30 pass rushers oh, coming into their too. own. It's good to see for the Yes, the there is no age discrimination here. And I say older being older than both of them. Right, but exactly. By football standards, I'm significantly older than both of them, actually. But, yeah, Lorenzo Alexander for the Bills. He is the AFC Defensive Player of the Month, Cliff Averill. Yay, Cliff! It's good to see for Cliff. It is he's good been, to see He's been Cliff. so good for so long, and, and to be kind of having the year that gets him this rec- uh, recognition. Seven and a half sacks, ranks third in the league. Alexander being one of the guys ahead of him with nine. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, Cliff's been a big part of this defense. I think he's been a little overshadowed by what the guys in the secondary do, by his... Fellow defensive end Michael Bennett, who's been so great. But, yeah, just to see Cliff performing the way he is and getting the recognition is pretty cool. Well, he's getting the recognition nationally. We know how good Cliff Averill in this defense is here in the Northwest. And this is not lost on Rex Ryan as to how good this Seahawks defense is. No, I mean, Rex Ryan... He's, he, he grew up living in the house of one of the great defensive coaches in the game. So he knows defense, and he can appreciate He talked on a conference call with the media today just about how impressive what Pete Carroll's built is and just how well they play at all the levels. It was interesting. One of the things he said is how fortunate he felt like they were that Michael Bennett was not going to be available because he, he called Michael Bennett one of the best players in the NFL regardless of position. So, uh, yeah, that's that's one guy. I mean, I think around the league, this defense is very respected, but Rex Ryan certainly knows it's a tough test to come here and play them. 
Well, and so Frank Clark last week got the snaps snaps for Michael Bennett, who underwent successful knee surgery on Wednesday. Optimistic timetable, two to three weeks if all goes well, if they get a little bit lucky. So that means that Frank Clark is going to get some more snaps in the coming weeks. And in listening to Pete Carroll this week, he said, you know, if Frank had been a little cleaner on the technique, he would have had a great game. He had a good game, but there's room for him to have a great game. And in talking to Frank in the locker room, he said, you know, it is a totally different position. And you are not just the role player coming off the bench and making one play. You have to set guys up differently. You have to approach the game differently. What did you take away from Frank? Yeah, I mean, he looks solid out there, but one of the things you can't really know if you're not in those meetings in the game plan is every responsibility on every play. Because sometimes what a defensive lineman has to do on any given play especially in run defense, doesn't show up unless you miss it, and now right. somebody's out for a big gain. And that's Pete Carroll, when he talks about he takes a lot of pride in their run defense and the discipline it takes because it, it takes one guy being out place to turn a, a stuffed run into a big gain. So um, I think ultimately you'd love to have Michael Bennett, but ultimately this could be really good for Frank Clark to get this experience of having to play almost every down and play these different responsibilities. And it's, it's only going to make him better down the road. And I, it'll probably make him better this week, just having been through it and learning from, from the mistakes he did make. Well, and we will see what happens if LaShawn McCoy is in the game for the Bills. A hamstring injury kept him out last week, but he is sixth in the NFL in rushing yards, second in yards per attempt. He is 44 yards away from reaching 11,000 yards from scrimmage during the course of his career. And he is going to pose a challenge, even if he's slightly hampered by the hamstring, he's still a tough guy to yeah, tackle. I mean, one of the most elusive players in the NFL. I, you know, there's some players around the league, regardless of what teams you pay attention to, what teams you root for, they're just fun to watch. And, and that to me is McCoy. I mean, he's just such a special, unique talent and, uh, you know, the, the CX fans probably wouldn't mind him getting another week off, but if he does get to play, he, it's a treat to watch him, and it'll be fun to watch one of the best run defenses try to contain him. Even without McCoy, the Bills have three backs that are over 200 yards rushing. He leads the way, but the quarterback is up there at over 300 yards rushing. I shouldn't say backs because, well, that was quarterback. Um, but You know, compare that to the Seahawks, where they've obviously struggled to get the run game going. This is going to be a big theme partly because of injuries that have taken away wide receiver options for the Bills, but they're going to try to run the ball regardless. Oh, for sure. And it, you, you bring up the quarterback, it's kind of a timely conversation because we've been there's been so much of talking around here, why isn't the run game working? And part of it has been Russell Wilson's limitations, and when Russell Wilson is running at his best, we've seen him affect the entire running game, whether he's carrying the ball or just making the defense account for him, and that's exactly what Tyrod Taylor does. Well, and the injuries that I alluded to on offense for the Bills, eight players have been affected by injuries, three of whom were injured last week during the game. And at halftime, it was their fullback who was the team's leading receiver. I don't know if you realize that I or did not. not. I, generally, that's not great. Right. That, that does not indicate that your offense is going the direction you would like, which may be one reason – that Percy Harvin is back with the Bills. Yeah, and that was another thing Rex Ryan talked about. I don't, you know, people are going to want to look at this as, oh, it's a chance to come play his former team. I really think it's just the injuries, and that's where um, Rex Ryan said they were, you know, meeting with some personnel guys looking at options, whether it was a trade or who's out there to be signed, and somebody just threw out the name. Anybody talk to Percy? Is he, you know, interested? And they called him and felt good, felt you know, like he get rested. He's basically been out a year with injuries. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I, it's hard to imagine anybody 
with that long of a layoff make a big impact. But then you go back and think of the time he was here, how often he was hurt and out of the practices, and then he'd get back in, in limited playing time and make an impact. So he's the kind of guy, if if he touched the ball five times in a game, he could still make an impact. Well, and he he knows that system, so that helps. And yeah. he's still fast. Yeah, that's and you thing. can't really coach speed. No. So I, I think uh, if he gets in, the Seahawks are certainly going to be aware of where he is on the field. And lastly, John, I, I think the Seahawks are aware of a bigger stage. I know that every game is a championship opportunity, but you cannot overlook the, the numbers no, on so Monday funny. Night Football. And people always try to get that out of Pete because it, it's such a big message here is treat every game the same. Every week's a championship opportunity. And yet, it's, I mean, 15-3-1 in prime time, 10 in a row on Monday night. Is that right? It's it, it's pretty – and part of that is just they've been good in that time, so their winning percentage is high in general, but it's not those numbers overall. And I mean, maybe there's like an opposite effect, and it's the other teams treating it bigger than it is, and they're I – don't, I don't know. No one can give a good answer. Players don't know. Coaches don't know, but let's hope it continues. Well, I was going to say, either way, I like that – that trend. I, I like the Seahawks finishing strong, whether it's in a game or in the season. I like them rising to the challenge of prime time. And I like kind of where all these numbers point to on Monday. Sure. I feel good about this. I'm going to be able to relax and watch some football on Sunday, feeling like we can take care of business on Monday. I like it. And if you get tired of watching football on Sunday, although who would, and you miss John and I on Sunday because you're not going to hear from us then. You'll hear from us on Monday. I tell you what, you can go back and listen to all of our podcasts this year on Seahawks.com slash podcast. And we are now on Stitcher and iTunes, so you never have to miss a minute of our Seahawks Insider Podcast. John, I know that you are going to tell all of your friends. All of them. I'll, all, I'll tweet about it. All of your friends are going to start submitting us questions for the podcast because we are taking over. Although that's going to have to wait for next week because we've already taken over all of the time that we're allowed. Too bad. (laughs) (laughs) I, I got nothing for you. That'll do for this week's edition of Seahawks Insider Podcast. We will see you next week.